Hi, welcome to the Read Play Talk podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Paris. And I'm your other host, Jack Love. This podcast is a resource for all things Read Play Talk. We hope that our listeners will be encouraged to read, play, and talk with their children every day. Today, we are chatting with Daniel Norwood, who is a social studies coordinator for Mesquite ISD. Daniel also helps lead Mesquite ISD's new leadership and empowerment team. This conversation will give listeners some tips on the best ways to talk to our children about race and equality and why these conversations are necessary and important. Daniel, I'm so excited. Me too. I'm really this. excited to be here. Can I be excited too? If you want okay, to Okay, I'm excited too. Good. Perfect. <laughs> so before we jump in with these questions, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, career, family, all that. So first, let me say thanks. I'm, man, I'm honored to be here because I know it's such a great conversation on parenting. It's definitely one of those things that we all have to look at. You know, we're always analyzing how we're doing it. And so for me, just a little background on me, like quite a few others in the district, I grew up in Mesquite and uh, I actually went to Galloway, McDonald Middle School. And I feel like in the admin office, I'm the rare wrangler, but I wear my shirt with pride. Thank you, Karen Morris. Uh, she sent quite a few up there. And so actually taught all my years in the classroom at North Mesquite while my wife Candace was uh, actually a teacher at Mesquite High during those years. So you can imagine Friday nights were yes, true interesting. Rivalry. There's a true rivalry there. And we were not on the winning end a lot of times. So, yeah, it was tough. It was tough. <laughs> but I wore my, my blue, Italian blue. I have three young children, DJ, who is nine, Ian, who is seven, and Tegan, who is three. My two boys were actually featured on the first year of Replay Talk stuff. So Yes, your family's on connection. lots of photos. Yeah. <laughs> we're there. We're there. <laughs> Tegan is probably going to be jealous because she's not on there. She's my three-year-old oh. girl. I'm sure she's going to be like, Dad, where was I? Take um, you on again. Yeah, yeah. I think Candace was pregnant at the time. So anyway, we had the Replay Talk brochures. And actually, the last six years, I've been the social studies coordinator for the district, which I really, really love that position. And I know how important history is. And so I've really loved doing that job. But in this role, I've actually been able to support teachers in classroom instruction and coordinate so many of our events like History Day, the Mesquite tradition, long tradition of Student Government Day. Man, every time we do it, there's somebody at the city level who's like, I remember my Student Government Day experience. Right. It's a really cool deal. And then since I've been in the job, we've started the school day rodeo for our second graders, Austin field trips for fourth graders, third graders go to Lawrence Florence House. And so, you know, there's a whole lot of things that we're doing in the district really to broaden our students' experiences. And I'll just say, just because I'm on, on this podcast, couldn't be done without Atris Adeniyi and Brittany Parks, who are my facilitators. Mm -hmm. So I love doing it. Like I said, I'm finding my career in a place where I didn't think I'd probably be when I was 18 or 19. Right. Didn't necessarily know I'd be in education. So love what I'm doing for the district in that regard. And I should have mentioned this in your intro, but you also co-host with Ted Madden, the Let's Talk podcast. I do. We have another podcaster in our presence. I know. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. the trifecta. I, and, and they started after us, but I think they're way more famous. Oh, yeah. Hey, look, it's yeah. Ted. I give it all, all credit to Ted. <laughs> He's like, yeah, now I'm sitting in the hot seat. I'm like, I know what our guests feel like. Right. like oh, man, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> That's right. So, Daniel, you left out the most important part is where we met, which was Leadership Mesquite. So I'm just going to throw it out. Oh, my gosh. Out yeah, Sorry. Leadership Mesquite, so, man. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, the, yeah, the ropes course is, is famous or infamous. Or infamous. That's right. So, <laughs> so we're talking about the leadership and empowerment team today, LED, mm -hmm. right? And it's fairly new to the district. Can you tell us a little bit about how it got started? 
and how you you all are hoping that the let will shift the culture in Mesquite ISD. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It actually started this summer, and it started from Dr. Vrunlin. He actually made a statement after the killing of George Floyd. You know, if you remember this summer, there was a lot of, a lot of tension around race and around, you know, interactions with police. And what Dr. Vrunlin did, he made that statement, but then he also committed to a committee where we were going to come in and, and have students have educators, have some of our district leaders really talk about how race and equity play a role in what we do as educators. And then around that, we had conversations with our kids where we really wanted to make sure we had a a safe space. And you'll see in a lot of the research, and we'll talk about this, you know, with even the books that we read, but for us, it was about coming together and making sure our kids had a space where they could share anything and everything about their experience at school. And we could begin to look at the district and say, hey, you know, how is this playing a role in our schools? If we're looking at how our students are responding to what was going on nationally, we knew that there was really a time to really have that conversation, even with, like I said, with district leaders, with principals, teachers. And so with the LET committee, we've actually looked at five areas of the district. We've kind of divided it into student leadership, which for us is this idea of wanting our students to be prepared when they leave our classrooms to make changes that they want to see in society. And so there's there's this idea of the School of Social Leadership that we're, we're talking about for 2021, where we really train up our kids to be those type of leaders and begin to develop and understand the traits of leadership. We looked at district policy and HR, which if you listen to Shameless Plug podcast episode two for Let's Talk, Mary Randall actually talks about district policy and HR and the importance of having a diverse teaching staff and for students to see people in school who look like them. She was a, a big part of the let work that we did there. Communications. I think y'all are familiar with Elizabeth Fernandez, a who is bit. rock star <laughs> person. Man, look, she has done a lot to really allow the let committee's work to be publicized and allow people to kind of hear those stories. And then her idea was actually the Let's Talk podcast. Yeah, I'm just along for the ride. And so Elizabeth actually has really been a passionate member of trying to make sure that the stories get out. And one of the things that I think we've recognized from the podcast episodes is that we have so many stories in our district from individuals who've been doing this work for a while they just haven't come out. And so we really felt like our community needed to hear those stories. And, and it's been a great thing. And man, we've had some great stories. And then for us on the reflective work, Jennifer Morris was one of the leaders also in our group. And she's really led us in the area of learning through book studies, new teacher. And so today, when I mention a lot of the research and the books around even what we do as teachers, a lot of that applies to parenting. And, we, you know, we're always learning. I think you, you look back and say, man, the best parents are always trying to figure out how do I be a better parent? The best teachers are always saying, how do I become a better teacher? The best leaders are saying, how do I learn leadership? So Jennifer Morris has been a big part of that for our district. And then finally, the leadership pipeline and development was another part of the let teamwork with which was just about how we develop leaders, how leaders develop themselves in our district. Anyway, long story of let, but I want people to know that we really have taken a, a good look at the things that we do as a district as reflective practices and also what we're doing to prepare our kids. Daniel, can I jump in here real quick? If you've listened to our podcast, mm-hmm. I'm all about talking about how great MISD is because it is. And this yeah. is one of those things, I think, that deserves a real big pat on the back. I think oftentimes people say, we need to do something, we need to do something, we need to do something. Mm -hmm. Nothing ever gets done. It's kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, but you guys said, hey, 
here's a problem. Here's maybe not the solution, but here's how we get to talk about the solution. So putting things in place is awesome. And that's why I can almost tear up here because of how great MISD is. You know, they look to see what problems are and they try to solve them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In true Dr. V fashion, I remember after the killing of George Floyd, all these school districts around us were making all these statements and public announcements, mm-hmm. and Mesquite Dicey didn't for a while. And it wasn't because we weren't aware or we didn't care, but Dr. V, he's like, I don't just want to say something, I want to do something. Right. And it's been incredible just from like an outsider's perspective, watching this leadership and empowerment team grow mm-hmm. and how even though you... Y'all have not been around for very long, but just a couple of months. A couple months, yeah. But y'all are causing incredible change for the better within the district. So, yeah, I echo Jack. I want to pat you on the back. This has been incredible. But kind of along that, you know, Dr. V didn't just want to say something. He wanted to do something. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of our parents feel that same way. I know that I wrestled with that a lot this summer after seeing that video of George Floyd and all these other things that were kind of going around in the summer as a parent of two small children, I kept thinking like, I want to do something. And before I ask you this question, I wanted to share, I read an article and I'll link it in our show notes. And I think it's called like 10 tips on how to talk to your kids about race. But in that article, it says that children as early as three months can start to recognize skin color differences and they can notice, oh, this isn't my normal primary caregiver, you know, just simple differences like that. And somewhere between the ages of two and a half and three years, children can start developing and observing racial biases that they see in their surroundings and that they can start to exhibit those biases around ages four or five. So, I mean, you think of that in the first five years of a child's life, all of these thoughts and biases are taking shape and are coming out in their actions. So obviously it's never too early to talk to your kids about race, but I'm wondering if you can give me and also the other parents that are listening some practical tips for parents on how to talk to their young kids about these issues. Definitely. It's always a challenge because as parents, I think we always want our kids to be comfortable. And that is is like our first thing. And then and then in that we want to be comfortable. So, you know, there's so many conversations as a parent that you just want to avoid. Your kids hit that right. preteenage and you're like, I don't want to talk about yeah, it. I skip you this. know, I want to skip this level. Let's get to twenty. But in this area, there's so much research that's been done. And this is what's fascinating is I started, you know, we talked about this podcast. I started really doing more research because there were things I knew, but then I thought there may be more, you know. Mm-hmm. And when you dig in, I'll, I'll give the name of three women who've been really influential in this area. One is Rudine Sims Bishop, and we'll talk a little about her later with the windows and mirrors. Mm-hmm. Beverly Daniel Tatum, who wrote a book called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together mm-hmm. in the Cafeteria? And other conversations about race is another part of that. And then Zaretta Hammond, who's written a book called Culturally Responsive Teaching Practices. And so, you know, as you listen to them talk, not only have they done the research about this, but they talk about how they've raised their own kids and how to have conversations about race. And a couple of the tips that they give, you know, practical tips for parents, I think number one is when kids do talk about race, we shouldn't shut that down Mm. because we know that if they're bringing it up, it's real. I remember, and we've talked about this, you know, as I've done book studies, is this idea of colorblindness. And, you know, what we know is like no one's really colorblind. It's just Mm -hmm. something that's been learned to be said. And instead, we should really acknowledge that there are differences between us and that there are cultural differences. And what we have to do is begin to understand, you know, what the good things are about each of those those differences and begin to celebrate them. And so 
what I've read is that, you know, it's kind of only a problem when we start to apply values to those differences and say, hey, you know, this group is better than that group, or when we only talk about good things in relation to one group or another. And that's where we see the problems develop. So don't shut kids down. Have the conversation. I, I heard a story on a podcast episode, actually, of a child who went to school and, you know, somebody said, I think it was one of their friends said, why is this kid darker than this kid? Mm -hmm. And I think the teacher responded with a, well, you know, he drank more chocolate milk or something. It's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. No, no, don't, that's, say that. That, don't say that, you know, because that's going to completely confuse them. For sure. But this is a good time to really bring up that, you know, scientifically, you know, melanin is something that's in our skin and, and some people have more than others. And, you know, that that can actually have cultural differences when you start talking about black people and brown and mm -hmm. all these different groups. The other tip that I've seen is is really not to wait for kids to bring it up, but to be proactive and help them build an awareness, a positive awareness. Mm -hmm. One of the things, and you know, all, I think all parents we want our kids to be good readers. Mm -hmm. And I can remember as a as a coordinator early, my sons were young. I went to the LA coordinator. I was like, man, how do I make sure they're better readers? Like, what right. can I do? And she told me, hey, can they rhyme? Do they know the word blends? And it was a proactive way for me to say, how can I make sure my kids can read when they get to school? And those little tips were really helpful. And so mm -hmm. I think on the issue of race, you know, find those tips that are out there. There are podcasts. I know NPR has a good podcast on um, parenting conversations. Mm -hmm. And this is one that I think will allow parents to build that positive awareness. The other thing is having books. Ibram Kendi has actually been doing a lot of work on anti-racism, and he has a book called Anti-Racist Baby. There's like a Netflix series that goes along with it where they read books to kids too. Oh, and this one... Is it Bookmarks? Is that the it, new one that it, just came out? That may be it. I can't remember exactly, but... In that book, he talks about celebrating people who don't look like you hmm. and understanding those different cultures. And I think that's an important thing because, you know, oftentimes if our kids grow up and they only see people in the books that look like them, then they don't grow up being as familiar with other racial groups or valuing their culture as much. And so they've talked a lot about diversity in books and one of my favorite books that my kids and I've read, they're a little bit older now, but this is how we do it. The book shows people from like nine different countries mm -hmm. and it shows, you know, what they grow up with, how they go to school, what they eat, all these different things that are just kind of surface level culture, but help my kids to begin to see like, OK, somebody living in Iran might go to school. Somebody living in Ghana might eat this type of dish. Again, it's surface level culture, but it begins to show that, hey, people around the world have value and they're also in the literature. The other thing that I've seen is, is that when we do see a child experience prejudice, that us as the grown-ups, we have to be able to address the feeling and then stop the prejudice. There was a story that I've heard about kids being told that they couldn't be a princess because their hair texture wasn't mm. like somebody else's or like the princess in the Disney movie or whatever. And in that case, it's good to bring in books that show princesses from different cultures and different countries and to be able to say, hey, there are princesses and kings mm -hmm. of every race in every country, and there are great people in every group. And so those are those kind of things that I think we have to talk to our kids about because otherwise they grow up and they kind of live in their own bubble or their own lane. And we've done this work a lot in Mesquite of really diversifying our book choices mm -hmm. so that our kids do get those experiences. Because 
What I found is with, with my own kids is that if they read it in a book and then they see it and then they grow up around other kids who are not just like them, mm-hmm. you know, who are not black, then they begin to understand a little bit better. Like, okay, you know, everybody has certain experiences and every racial group has value. That's the main thing I think we want our kids to see. Yeah, I think that's all so good. I feel like parents are overwhelmed and they think, okay, guys, family meeting, sit down. We're going to talk about race. We're going to talk about equality. And, you know, we dump all of this stuff on them. But really what you're expressing is like, no, this is just like a daily thing that we just have to implement all along. This is not a one and done conversation that we just expect. Okay. I talked to my kids about race. So I'm good. I'm done. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you again this summer when I was really wrestling through all this, I have two daughters and mm. we should have stock in Barbie because we just have <laughs> so many. Like, uh-huh. it's ridiculous. But this summer I was looking at my girls' Barbies. They're all white. Mm. They all have blonde hair. Mm-hmm. You know, they look like us. Right, right. And you said something in there. You're like, we can't allow kids to grow up only around people that look like them. So true. And so I've made really conscious efforts. Anytime we buy a new whatever, I yep. buy Barbies of different colors yeah. because I want my girls to see that and just be around it, normalize it exactly and not right. just white blonde haired Barbies. Exactly. <laughs> it's Yeah. And it's as subtle as that. I can remember for my kids and we will go, I know we talk about Redeem Sims Bishop, but One of the things that I noticed with my daughter is we have a book selection for her. And I've always tried to make sure that we're buying, you know, sets of books. Like we we have our Dr. Seuss, we have our animal books and all of that, you know, the Sesame Street. But also buy books with black characters. And one of her favorite books for a long time was Snowy Day. And it's just a little children's book of a black kid. It snows outside and he goes and pushes a snowball. Mm -hmm. And what I think happens sometimes is we get, especially at school, we get the book on Harriet Tubman or we get the book on Martin Luther King or we get the book on any other like historical figure. And our kids can't really relate to them because mm-hmm. they've done great things. But at the same time, that's not a kid like me. Harriet Tubman, she's not a kid like she's a great right. figure. But I think that reflection, like you talked about, the Barbies, it's having the black Barbie in the set, mm-hmm. you know, or the Hispanic Barbie and the Latino Barbie in the set. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's those kind of things that are that are subtle moves. And even in the book selections, I think one of my favorite is Feast for Ten. Mm-hmm. It's a book. And not only is it black characters, and I'm just speaking from that perspective right now, but not only is it black characters, but it shows the value of family and like extended family. And I think when we begin to see those types of books that like reflect true culture, it makes a big difference for our kids. Mm, it does. Really good. Yeah, it's great. So, and and obviously we're talking about reading. And obviously in Replay Talk, we're huge advocates about early childhood literacy. Oh, for sure. Uh, and, and we're huge advocates about our parents reading to their children starting at a very young age. And, you know, in one of your podcasts, you talk about the importance of reading mirror books and window books. Talk to us a little bit about what kind of books those are. Yeah, so... Rudine Sims Bishop actually has done, man, she's written books and has had such a big influence on librarians, people in the ELA field. And her research was on early literacy. And I think in the 70s, she really started to look at the situation of early literacy and say, there aren't enough books with black characters, Latino characters, Asian characters, any of these. And what she did was set out to really change it. And so she started and she came up with this analogy of window books, mirror books, and sliding glass doors. The idea is that every kid 
needs to, first of all, see a book that reflects a character like them, and that book can be a mirror. And what that says, and, and I actually heard, I think Beverly Daniels Tatum said this. She said, when we look at a family photo of everybody, Where's the first place you look? Oh, you look for yourself. You look yeah. for every yourself time. every <laughs> single time. And she said, you know, for our kids, you know, when you look at that picture and if you don't see yourself in that book list, then it just says something mm-hmm. to you. And I can remember a story that one of our librarians told at the high school level. And she said she talked to some of the kids and these were high school boys, some Latinos, some black. And they said, well, miss, you know, we don't want to get a book. Why would we get a book? Readings for white people. She said that that really changed her life and the way she looked at how kids view literature because she said, you know what? If you look around the library, maybe we don't see enough that's reflected on like their life experiences. And so that was the first part of the analogy for Redeem Sims Bishop was that books have to be mirrors. And the other thing was windows because she said there's so much about culture that we learn from books that are that are written the right way. She does acknowledge that there are some books that have characters of different races, but it's kind of like I use the idea of the 1950s Western with the Native Americans. That's not right. real not real true Native American culture. It was right. written about them, but it wasn't like from their perspective. And so she really talks about this idea that books are windows into someone else's culture, and that shows us that they have value. And I think that was one of the biggest things from her that we get in the research is that kids read those books, they begin to see that, hey, you know, in, in the Latino culture, like this is something that they value a lot. Or in black culture, this is something that they value a lot. It begins to allow our kids to break down those stereotypes and not see each other within that same lane. I think it opens up doors in a way. And so for her, she mentions those books. I think for us as parents, the practical tip here is, you know, when you go to the bookstore, look for a book that looks different than your kids. With a replay talk, I know with the books that we give away, sometimes our, our parents probably should look and see, is there a book for me? You know, right. and for the parents who are donating books to say, did I go out and find books that reflect all of the kids yeah. in Mesquite when I donated? Mm-hmm. I was really happy this, I think it was in August one of our principals put out a book list from his daughter, and he was kind of like, hey, we're having to get these books at the last minute. And it was one of those Amazon wish list type of things. And, man, her book list for her class reflected anybody and everybody Mm. who could ever walk through that door. And I thought, man, once you see that that's the way our people are thinking, I think you'll see our kids begin to see each other differently. They'll see the value in each other from an earlier, earlier age. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I I grew up in a pretty diverse community uh, on Fort Hood. I went to a school called Copper's Cove, you know, military. So it it was very diverse. But I guarantee you, if I went into that library when I was in school, no way would I find a book that showed a different viewpoint than what I was Mm. raised with. I think I embrace culture and and that type of thing. Right. But I guarantee you, probably not as well as I could have, had that library been as diverse as it should have been. Yeah, that's so true. These are important things. Yeah, I want to talk about, and you mentioned it, earlier, maybe in your intro, but Mm -hmm. the LEC committee, y'all have been very intentional and y'all use this term a lot about safe space, Mm -hmm. you know, safe space within the schools, safe space for students and even faculty to come and express fears, concerns, opinions. I love that term, just safe space. And I can only Mm -hmm. imagine that that has to also translate to the family, that it's so important, especially with these conversations centering around race and equality to create that safe space within your home unit too. Can you maybe talk about why that's important for the family to implement? Oh yeah, it's very true. 
one, it's important as a parent to be prepared to talk about race. I think kids feel safe when we feel safe. You know, when I think about parenting is if I'm nervous about something, they know, you know, Mm -hmm, they know. And so I think the safe space is really important because that's where we get the honest truth. And this was true even of our committee work that early on, you know, our kids were kind of feeling us out as a committee because it's like, hey, I'm a high school kid. Why are you calling me in here to Mm -hmm. talk about race? You know, first 15 or 20 minutes, they're trying to kind of figure out, hey, how safe is this space? What Mm -hmm. can I say? And we had to be really intentional about saying this is why we're here. We are open to hear anything you have to say. And we wanted to get the words out there that, yeah, we're going to talk about race. We're going to talk about bias. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about equity. We're going to talk about all these things. And I think as a parent, it's important for our kids to hear us open up about those things, too. And so practical thing for, I think, a parent to really create the safe space is first to kind of become educated on how to create it, Mm -hmm. because it, it is a challenge when... You know, there's a there's a book that we're doing a book study on right now called So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijeoma Oluo. And one of the things that she mentions in chapter three, early in the book, she says, you're going to get the conversation wrong at times. Right. And she said, it's going to happen. But you keep going. Yeah, that's the deal. And so I think as a parent, it's knowing that, hey, you know, we're not going to be perfect and we have a lot to learn and we have a lot to reflect on. But at the same time, we know that if our kids are going to be better humans, then we have to be better parents and be able to say, hey, I got to reflect on some things before I open up this conversation. And creating that safe space, I think, is where you've learned some of where your own biases may exist and you're ready and willing to say, all right, let me hear your perspective. I heard a podcast with Beverly Daniels Tatum And they were talking about teachers, and she mentioned that sometimes a teacher may really feel uncomfortable about talking about race with their students, but occasionally you'll have a student who might say, hey, this teacher did something that was racist. And she said immediately, typically the teacher is always offended and is going to go immediately into this defensive mode. Mm -hmm. She said "If, if your response is instead of, well, I'm not racist, it's, well, what made you think that? Tell me more about why you feel that way. And I think even as parents, when we ask that question of why do you feel that way? I think, man, that goes beyond this conversation, but just on making a safe space, period, because parenting's not easy. But there's a lot of times where we immediately want to say, well, it's my way and I'm right. You know, when really it's, well, tell me a little bit more about why you feel that way with our kids. And so I think that's. I'm reading a book right now called uh, Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk by Mm. Eugene Cho. Uh And he says something and highlighted it. I read a couple days ago and I knew it would work well into this conversation. But he says, it takes courage to stand up and say something. But sometimes it takes even more courage to sit down and listen. Oh, yes. You know, because I think as parents, you feel this need like, well, I've got to address this. I've got to say something. I've got to respond right away. But sometimes Mm. that's not the right move. Sometimes we need to take a step back and, like you were saying, mm-hmm. evaluate our hearts and evaluate our worldview Yeah. and say, okay, before I respond to this, which, you know, we need to respond, right. but before I do, I need to be quiet for a second 
and listen to those around me yeah. and have empathy yeah. and take I think, that in. I think too many times people think because you're not saying something, you're not actively involved in what's going on. When sometimes maybe you just might be listening, mm-hmm. um, right. which mm. points back to Dr. Rivera. He had things to say, but he needed to listen first before he could say those types of things. Dr. Yeah. Rivera, I meant Dr. Brunlin. Dr. Rivera, way too much credit. Yeah, And Daniel, I was listening to your podcast with Jennifer Morris, and you said yeah. something, takes me back to safe spaces and, and that type of thing that said, mm-hmm. The purpose, I think you said, of, of the safe rooms or spaces, you want to set kids up with the tools to have discussions on difficult topics. Yes. Mm. And I always think that if you can give them those tools, you don't need the safe space down the road. They're mm-hmm. equipped with the ability to have a conversation with somebody that's not going to require them to have to go to a, to a safe space, right? Yeah. So, mm. you know, yeah. these are important conversations that we have that we need to have. And I can't tell you how proud I am to be involved and and a part of MISD because they're not afraid to have those conversations and put somebody like my Leadership Mesquite alumnus in charge of it all. (laughs) There we go. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's so true. In our book study, we've really talked about that, that having the conversation about racist practice Mm -hmm. because you know you're going to have to have those conversations as we go down the road. And so far, students, yeah, you're right. It's so much of it is practice on how do we do that? How do we have that dialogue? One of the areas we were talking about being defensive and um, the first meeting that we had as a committee, the kids, like we spent probably two hours talking about history and they were like, yeah, you know, there's so many things left out of our history. Well, guess who's over the history department? Myself. <laughs> right there. But I had to listen. And you know what? We've really responded in social studies to say, you know what? They're kind of right. Mm. There are a lot of things in the way that our history has been taught and, you know, the narratives that we miss some things that our kids, I think, would really value on the front of agency. One of the boys in our group said, Dory Miller, who's from Waco, actually featured in Pearl Harbor. He was Cuba Gooding Jr., that character. Yeah. And uh, he said, this whole war is just one black guy that did something. You know, and you have to stop and think, mm. man, you know, the books and the teaks were all kind of written that way. And we have to really broaden it. As I, I think about these conversations, what we tried to do in that meeting was listen to listen. Mm-hmm. And as we're going off with our book studies in our district with leadership, it's now practicing the conversation mm-hmm. because we know that we will have to have it not only with our students, but with our colleagues and with our peers. As parents, that's the thing we have to practice, right. you know, and maybe even with other parents to say, my experience is this, your experience is that, you know, can we have a conversation about it? Definitely. Yeah. Well, it's been awesome. It has. It's been right. educational. And I appreciate the hard work that you put forward in MISD to make sure that your LET committee is doing the right things for the students in, in our community. So with that, we're going to wrap thank it up and thank Daniel. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. Oh, thank you, guys. Thanks for letting me on. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We would love it if you would give us a glowing review on whatever platform you're listening to. Five-star reviews are obviously our favorite. You'll receive 1,000 cool points if you leave us a review telling others why you love this podcast so much. We encourage you to follow us on all of our social media platforms for ideas on how to read, play, and talk together at home. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Read Play Talk and on Twitter at Read Play Talk TX.